0: Hey, hey. a special call out to journalists and nonfiction writers who could use some extra support in these unpredictable times. Writer's House Pittsburgh is accepting applications for a six-month residency starting as early as January 2021. The Writer's House is a physical home and long-term residency seeking to provide housing stability, mentorship, and community when you need it most. Head over to writershousepittsburgh.org to learn more. Applications will close on November 30th. That's like in a couple days. So get on it.
1: Um, And then I quickly reverted back to anxiety. So that's where I'm still at. Still anxiety. Yeah. I live here.
0: Whoa. Hey. (laughs) Didn't see you there. It's Brendan O'Meara, hey hey, and this is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast, the show where I speak to badass people about the art and craft of telling true stories. A lot of you know that? Maybe some of you don't. Sometimes they are purely writers, and sometimes they draw amazing little comics. That's where today's guest, Michi Ning, comes from. She's the genius behind Barely Functional Adult, her webcomic on Instagram. It's also the title of her graphic memoir, Barely Functional Adult. It'll all make sense eventually. It is published by Harper Perennial. It's my favorite book of the year so far. I've read a lot of good ones, and I've even read some illustrated ones, which I also love, but this one, for some reason, really, it really resonated with me. It's cute, it's heartfelt, and it's hilarious. In this interview, we talk about closing the creative gap her workflow from idea to the com- to drawing the comic to posting it on Instagram, uh, resigning instead of quitting, and sort of the dichotomy of the uh, defining what it means to uh, to quit. You know, holding on to positive messages in a negative world, and the scary nature of hitting publish. But before we get to that. You're gonna to want to keep the conversation going on social media at CNF Pod. Link up to the show and I'll give you those digital fist bumps. And get this, CNFers. You can now starting now, starting yesterday, you can become a member at patreon.com slash CNF Pod. The link will be everywhere. I'm excited by what I can offer. It'll be a learning process on my end to see what Works and what doesn't, so it might be a bit fluid. But I think I've got a I've got a good handle of the value that I'm trying to offer people who want to go a little bit farther. I know we're already asking for your time and, of course, your support and begging on my knees for reviews and such. But now I'm going to say, why don't you um, get out that wallet of yours? Let's see how that works. But like I said. Very excited! I think I'm offering some good bang for buck things, and uh, it's it's great. I think it's going to be great. You know, I start each day by asking, you know, what can I do to better serve the listeners of this show? I think my offerings check many of those boxes, so I hope you'll check it out. Again, Patreon.com/slash/CNFPod, and you know that means one and only one thing. The Audio Mag is done. And I'll be publishing it probably next week, but I don't want to promise a day. This edition of the Audio Mag on isolation is free. But subsequent issues will only be available to members of the Patreon community. So see it as like a subscription to the Audio Mag. Just the entry-level tier and then all the other tiers after. But, uh, but keep that in mind. If you dig the first issue you'll want to be a member to hear and support the next ones. It's probably going to be twice a year at first, and then keep adding a, another, another, and it'd be nice to do four of these a year eventually, but one to two a year is what I can handle at this point. They take a lot of work and a lot of time. So being a member means every dollar you spend supports the production of this show. The Audio Mag, of course. And it might give me a little more independence to make more cool stuff for you, exclusive content. Maybe you know the interview of someone who's sort of in the moment, who has a book coming out. Then maybe another interview where I just go and call someone who's been on the show in the past and have them on as another thing in the middle of the week, where it's just kind of like a working it out thing. Like, yeah, what are you working on? Let's what's on your mind? Let's uh, let's unpack some a few things while you're between projects that might be kind of a a cool addition but logistically i just can't do it uh, it's enough to do this it's you know every episode is a good solid 20 hours of labor you know research and production and this so um to add another one in the mix is uh unfeasible or infeasible i don't know one of those words so uh i'm offering some great things uh even the book coaching mentorship uh tier is a bit of a steal if you do the math. So you might want to consider being a member. Get used to me talking it up. Okay? Good. Okay. It's time. It's time, CNFers. Let's get let's get right into it. Let's do this. Here is Michi Ning. Ooh. Ago. And I, this might be just kind of a fun jumping-off point. You, um, for, with your barely functioning adult uh, Instagram, you, you put together a little cartoon on social media, and you're you struggling with it or whether you, you deem it uh, of value. Um, so, like, what is your relationship these days to social media? Given that it's basically what you know propelled your your comic.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's always something I struggle with a little bit, um, in the sense that I think it's a great medium to kind of share out your work. But at the same time, having written the book, I've kind of leaned a little bit more towards longer form stories. So I feel like now I'm in this weird transition phase where I always want to write the longer stories, but then I'm always trying to be mindful that I only have 10 panels to communicate everything on Instagram.
0: And what is the appeal for you with with the longer stories and teasing out uh, things as far as as you can take it?
1: I think it's just the ability to go further with the story. Um, I feel like in Instagram, you have only so much attention span and you have like only so much time to speak to someone. Whereas when you're telling a story in like a long form setting, like in a book format, you kind of get that time to like warm up with the story and then kind of like do a few tangents and then kind of circle back. And I feel like that journey is a lot more um, engaging and compelling for me to write as well. I think at first I was doing comics that were single panels uh, only because I feel like that was a very limited comfort zone I was happy with. But then I think as like time went on, I was more comfortable telling longer stories. And I think that's it's in some ways it's a lot easier to tell longer stories because you have a lot more runway to kind of communicate what you want to say, but, um, but I think it's just a matter of practicing and just kind of playing around and seeing what works and what you like and what other people like, et cetera.
0: And in, in in this climate, as a as an artist or creator, writer, cartoonist, you know, you, we often need social media to broadcast uh, the work. But at the same time, it sometimes feels like it lands on deaf ears. It doesn't feel like it's working. You feel like you're being taken advantage of, or you're at the mercy of algorithms. So uh, in sort of piggybacking on what we were talking about earlier, you know, how have you been reconciling your relationship to social media and, and uh, you know, maybe just catering your own craft differently, just based on your conflicted feelings with it?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that, because I think that whenever Um, I get messages from new comic artists that uh, they want to know what it's like to post on Instagram and what it's like to kind of put your work out there. My number one advice is always to kind of take the analytics with a grain of salt. And I say this because uh, like the marketing side of me wants to go, okay, let's post at the best time. Let's Hmm. only post things that people like. Let's focus a lot on what's uh, being received well. Whereas I think that leaning too much towards those analytics really takes the fun out of it, and kind of, in some ways, guides guides your kind of guides your story in a way that you might not appreciate, um, in the sense that you're following likes as opposed to following what you want to tell, uh, story wise, um, and I think that's sort of a dangerous territory to tread towards.
0: Yeah, and that gets to the point of really just following your taste, and you're probably drawing and writing things that appeal to you know, probably first and foremost yourself. So, mm-hmm. so how did you develop y- your taste as, as a writer and uh, as an illustrator?
1: Um, I don't even know if it's fully developed at this point, um, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is just looking at what you like and then doing the work of figuring out why you like it. So I think when we look at comics, there's always a list of comics that you like, right? There's always things that you look at and you're like, I like this, but you don't necessarily know why. And for me, a lot of it was trying to kind of aggregate all of those comics that I like and then figuring out why I like it and trying to replicate the feeling that it gives me.
0: And who are some of the, uh, comic artists and uh, illustrators that really appealed to your your taste and helped you you know uh, you know jumpstart your own your own drawing
1: I think Calvin and Hobbes was a big yes. part of my childhood <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of people I uh, kind of grew up with that and I think that um, that really guided me in terms of thinking about comics that don't necessarily have to be funny but more so speak to the heart Um, I really like hyperbole and a half. So that was how I learned how to do this format of like half comics, half writing, and being able to understand that I can tell stories in this format. Um, And then a lot, a lot of different web comic artists that are out in the Instagram universe right now.
0: And so how did you arrive at your particular drawing style? And, uh, you know, in this amazing little character that essentially represents you.
1: Um, so so it's funny that you say that, because at the start, I was kind of just going for uh, the simplest form of character I could use to kind of convey my thoughts. Um, So it started out with a blob because (laughs) I was trying to keep it gender neutral. And I wanted to make make a character that would be relatable to everyone. Um, And I was also under this silly impression that it would be easier and somehow uh, more, uh, I guess, like easier to draw and quicker to draw if I stayed with like a little blob. But as it turns out, it actually is so much harder for me to draw that blob than to draw a person or like a figure character, um, just because it's it's one of those things where when you look at it, it looks wrong when you draw it the wrong way, but you don't know why. So I've ended up redrawing that character so many times over the years that I I kind of a little bit regret that decision at the start. <laughs>
0: And when you're when you're sitting down at, at your at your drafting table or your desk, what are the the tools that at your disposal when you're looking to, you know, just kind of, you know, make a cartoon you know, from, you know, from the tools that you've got in your hand to the, from concept to publishing it? You know, what are the what are those steps? I'd love to see your hear your process.
1: Yeah, for sure. So sometimes it depends on the idea and where it comes and what I'm doing when that idea comes. Um, And I'm not too strict on process, but uh, typically it starts with me jotting down notes on my phone, uh, just like keywords or themes or maybe dialogue, uh, and then followed with me drawing the comics by hand in like a little scrappy notebook, um, and then transposing that onto an iPad. So I use an iPad and like an iPad pencil, and then uh, moving that onto my comic. And then usually an an Instagram comic probably takes me around like three hours, although it definitely does not look like it. (laughs)
0: And and I understand too that you know you, you you know you work as a as a product designer as your as your day job and everything. So how do you how do you balance you know the the day job with the art you do?
1: Um, I feel like I use a different part of my brain. So when I'm in my day job, I'm using a more of like analytical side of myself. Uh, whereas when I'm doing my comics, I'm kind of reverting back to my childhood self. Um, so in that sense, I feel like I. I get more enjoyment out of doing comics. Um, and if I could do it as a full-time job, I definitely would.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's something I like talking about with, with people who, who balance the day job with this creative thing they do. And, you know, sometimes people, and I, I know I feel this way at times, you, you will feel, you know, kind of resentful or or, or bitter that you can't, that, that maybe there's a failure to launch or you're looking over your shoulder and other people mm-hmm. seem to really have all their shit together. And, you know, meanwhile, you're kind of like to- toiling away with your, you know, this day job that is, you know, putting food on the table, but it's not really the ultimately the thing that you wish was 100% subsidizing you. So, you know, how, how have you, how have you, you know, reconciled that? And how do you, you know, you know, just deal with maybe some of those toxic feelings that creep in when you're trying to balance the two?
1: I think that um, I'm a bit luckier in the sense that I don't hate my day job. So it's not as much of a contrast between uh, like working on comics as well as working on my day job. I think there are different things that I like and dislike about both things. So in the sense that I'm able to kind of know that everything I don't like about my day job, I can kind of get fulfillment from my moonlighting as like a comic artist and like vice versa, right? Like it's just knowing that Everything comes as like at a cost, and knowing that I can't do comics full time, but that's okay because there are things I'm getting from both things.
0: Hmm. I, I love in the your sort of author bio in the back of the book, or at least the galley I have. It uh, you know it says you you live in a teeny tiny apartment in 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 Vancouver, and uh, you know how have you. It's very, really important for artists to have, you know, a a space as Virginia Woolf might say, it's sort of like a room of one's own. And uh, so how have you, um, you know, manifested a a place in your apartment when you come home from work that is, you know, uh, fertile for your creativity?
1: Um, I would say that I don't do that. So <laughs> for my comics, I actually get most of my ideas from conversations with friends. So I will be having a one on one conversation with someone. And then I'll suddenly whip out my phone and start taking notes. And they'll just kind of look at me and be like, comic idea. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Um, so <laughs> I don't really, I feel like when I'm sitting in a room and waiting for the ideas to come, they never come. Uh, so I kind of gave up on having that space. I have a space set up in the sense that it's easier for me to work and go through the process of, like, I already have my idea. I'm going to take it from paper to iPad to computer, but I don't necessarily have, like, a thinking spot inside my home.
0: Hmm. And at what point did did your, your webcomic start to, you know, gain steam? And what was that moment like for you when suddenly it's, you know, It was this thing in your head and it was like, oh, I'll post it online. And then all of a sudden it really starts gaining traction. Like what was that moment like for you?
1: Um, It was pretty exciting and it happened pretty gradually. So I wouldn't say that it was like a one day spike. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I started off posting really casually because I was kind of like, you know, I used to joke with my friends. I'm like, all my followers will see this. And it was like 80 followers. So I think at the start I wasn't really mindful of it, but then over time I noticed that a lot more people were paying attention and I was kind of more conscious about what I was putting out there because I realized that, oh, hey, there are eyes on this and I should probably think it through a little bit more. Um, But I wouldn't say that there was a moment where I realized that there were people following. It was just slowly over time I just kind of like worked at it and kept going and then here I am.
0: At the start of the book you wrote, uh, sort of the opening epigraph, if you will, that, you know, don't forget, we write our own stories, and we can write whatever the hell we want. <laughs> so so, yep. so ha- ha- how do you arrive at that as sort of the, the epigraph of the book?
1: Uh, <laughs> I think that looking back, it's probably a bit more uh, irreverent than I might have wanted it to be. But um, I think it's just the knowledge that I wanted something to be empowering at the start of the book and I wanted people to read these stories and sure, like, there's some stories that make you feel, oh, okay, that was something that terrible that happened and I'm kind of, like, not feeling so great about it, but I also wanted to let people know that, okay, sure, maybe something not so wonderful happened, but it's still your story and you still got the reins, so, you know, run with it.
0: When you were starting to compose... The the book, of course, it's really it's ambitious. It's big. It's not, you know, it you know, five to ten panels on Instagram. It's, you know, you're talking big, big chunks of 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 prose, but also lots of lots of drawings. So what was that experience like for you to really start to really stretch your legs and and organize it and get your head around it so you could, uh, you know, propel the propel these stories forward?
1: Yeah, it was it was really hard for me because it was one of those things where I knew I wanted to write a book, but I had no skills to do so. So making that gap, meeting that gap and kind of like closing it was really hard. Uh, I was lucky in the sense that I had an agent who knew what she was doing and she was able to guide me through the book proposal. So when I was writing the book proposal, which in itself took almost a year, um, I kept writing and rewriting and trying to structure my story. Um, I knew that I wanted to write short stories because I, I have a very short attention span. So Funny. I know that I wanted to make something that someone could read and pick up and just read one chapter as like a standalone story and then kind of come back to it or something that they can just binge in one sitting. Um, so the short story part I knew from the start, there was never really a doubt about that. Uh, but in terms of structuring the story, it was a lot of trying to figure out what I wanted to say uh, kind of putting those into different categories and then building narratives around that and then kind of weaving it into a somewhat coherent narrative.
0: And What becomes the challenge for you in balancing the amount of text versus illustrations as you're trying to tell the stories?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on what the story is and how much content I have to start. Um, For some stories, I already have a bunch of comics in mind that are just standalone, like Instagram-like comics. So it's more of like, let's build a narrative around this so that I can use all these comics. Uh, Sometimes it's just a story that I'm writing and kind of building as I go. And I think that, like, once you get into the groove of it, you start writing a story and then a part of your brain says this part should be a comic or this is where you should put a joke and I think that it just comes with time of like writing in that format and style
0: and I, I love so much of the the sections uh, of the book too you know you've got you know you're you open with your pet fish and you know <laughs> and your frogs and go to the you know the section on gum, which is, you know, this, you know, this relationship that really, you know, stuck to you over the, over the years. And of course, mm-hmm. and, and so many of these like really great, you know, storytelling buckets. If So um, how did you arrive at, at these? And when you realize you're like, okay, these are the stories I really want to tell because they're, they're going to take a while to, to manifest. So, you know, how did you settle on, on so many of these wonderful topics?
1: I think that a lot of the topics come from conversations. So, I looked at what kind of conversations or events happened in the last 10 years of my life, um, as well as like what happened to my friends, right? So I looked at what we talked about the most. So in essence, I kind of took out a look at our mental like conversation history, and then thought about what we spent a lot of time discussing. So either things that I struggled with myself, or my friends struggled with, and we talked about a lot in our one on one conversations. Um, and then I kind of like took those conversations and figured out each bucket based on what I think other people would benefit from. So, if I'm talking to someone and they're telling me about a problem, what is the likelihood that it would fit within these buckets? And I kind of took the top 8 buckets of those things and built stories around them.
0: And when you find yourself, you know, stuck, you know, in the middle of, you know, a comic or the in the case of the book, you know, maybe, you know, halfway through, um what do you What do you do? What's your practice around, you know, breaking through the the middle and the grind, so you can you know crack on through to the other side? It's uh, often a place where people get stuck, and I wonder how you unstuck unstick yourself.
1: Uh, there's like a lot of grief and flailing around on my part, <laughs> um, but at the end, I usually try to. I'm I'm someone who really leans on my notes. Um, In the sense that sometimes when I get ideas, I'll just get 10 ideas and I'm furiously scribing them into my kind of like note app. But then when I do need to write, sometimes I'll just have nothing on my mind. Um, So it's really helpful to know that there is this repository of ideas waiting for me. And so I will always circle back to that and kind of like flip through and see what I can get. Um, Sometimes you just won't get anything, in which case I recommend just enjoying yourself and doing something fun because there's no point of like sitting at your desk and being sullen and have nothing come to you.
0: Yeah. Do you sometimes go on, you know, long walks or go work out or go watch TV or listen to a podcast or any, you know, anything like that to maybe kind of stir the leaves?
1: Um, I wish I was healthy enough to kind of like default to a run, but unfortunately <laughs> I'm not. So more often than not, I will listen to a podcast or read a book or watch TV, if I'm being honest.
0: I, I really love the section on on quitting and quitting jobs and, and all that. And it, they're just they're this great, you know, this energy that a lot of us have when we have a new job. It's like, it feels good. And then, of course, there comes the, the doldrums and then this isn't what I hoped it would be, and, and so forth. Uh, so how important was it for you to address quitting, uh, especially when your neighbors to the south here in the States are so a gung-ho on quitting being some sort of a weakness of any kind?
1: I feel like quitting, I, I think quitting is a bit harsh. Sometimes you're just resigning. We should always say resigning, I think. Yeah. Um, I think re- resigning is something that we all have to do, uh, regardless of how much you love your job. Um, I recently resigned my position on my team um, and I I just posted a comic about this actually but it's funny how we all have this anxiety around it um, regardless of if you're Canadian or in the states I think because it's like a sense of like giving up but sometimes it's just like a transition of life right Um, and I, I wanted to talk about that feeling of like first of all quitting and loving it because there are so many of us in Jobs that we're not supposed to be in for whatever reason, but then also like the feeling of knowing when it's time to move on, and that process not necessarily being one that is contentious, but just like a normal transition, right?
0: Of course, of course. And uh, later on in in that same section too, there's this there's this kind of you know point where you know you're having this conversation of like what are you passionate about, and you're like I don't know. And <laughs> And uh, and then there's this thing that where you write, you know, you you can't take something you love and make it your work, excuse mm-hmm. me, because the thing you love will become regulated and mandated instead of being a charming whim you can so freely pursue, and uh, kind of going back to our earlier part of our conversation, it made me think. It, maybe think that if if your comic became sort of this, this full-time thing where it truly was work, more so than it already is, uh, do you worry that it being 100% work might somehow, like, pollute it? Or do you think the the energy you have in it and the love you have for it would carry you through?
1: Uh, I, I hope that the love I have for it would carry me through, but I do have my doubts, um, specifically because... In a previous position prior to the one that I'm in right now uh, for my day job, I did work in an agency setting where it's creative but also very guided in the sense that you can be creative as long as you're creative within these constraints set by your client. So I do have some experience in being this weird arena of where you're allowed to be creative but you're not as creative in the way that you want to be. Um, So I do have doubts in the sense that. If I am doing this full time, like this, as in my comics, um, uh, in like a in like a work setting, it might not feel the same. Also, because when I make my comics, I'm doing it when I feel like it. I do it on a re- regular cadence, but there's still a lot of autonomy. And I feel like if that autonomy was gone, the dynamics of it might feel different.
0: Given that you're, you know, you've got your day job, and of course, you know the your your wonderful comic, it it can. It can be like a there, there's probably a lot on on your table uh, and on your plate. So how do you manage to um, you know deal with those feelings of you know overwhelm and maybe feeling unfocused at times? And you know how do you deal with that? And how do you get back on track?
1: Um, a lot of sleepless nights and then a <laughs> lot of lists. So I do have to admit I sacrificed a lot of sleep when I was writing this book because I was still working full time, um, and I maybe didn't realize how much. Like, effort and time it would take to write these comics to a place where I was happy enough to let it go in the world as like a book. Um, so, I would say lists are a big deal for prioritization of what I need to do and to kind of like stay sane. Yeah, because if you're not writing it down, I just feel like I'm holding it in my brain. And once I write it down, I don't need to hold it. It's a little irresponsible, yes. but it helps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, uh... In the book too, one of the more you know touching uh, scenes I I felt was with um, I think it's a star yeah space dust in the in that section where you know you, your mother and your sister you know you stay up you stay up late and you're looking out at this meteor shower that kind of uh, it doesn't come for a long time uh, if it came at all and uh, you know maybe take us to that moment what was that like for you to be there with you know your mom and your sister and you're looking out into the into the sky to. Because it's a very touching, touching little moment.
1: Yeah, I was really young when that happened. So it's like I sometimes even wonder if it's a fake memory. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was it was nice. It was one of the things that stuck out to me in my childhood. um, And I kind of just like never really forgot it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seemed just from the way you the way you write it and the way you draw, it, it seems like, you know, you have a pretty special relationship with your mother.
1: Uh yeah, I do. I'm pretty close with my mom.
0: Yeah, and it is, is has has she like always been someone who's in, been in your corner and very supportive and put, you know, gas in your tank so you can, you know, pursue the things that you're that you that you love to do.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, she'll. She will support any ridiculous idea I bring up. Uh regardless <laughs> of if it's something I want to do or just like the way we decorate the house for Christmas. Um but I remember when I first started writing comics, I showed her um, a couple panels that I made and I was really proud of them. And she looked at them and she started laughing and was like, this is really funny. And then I kind of took the comics back and was like, they're not supposed to be funny, but thank you for your support. Um, And it was like this moment of like, oh, my mom's so supportive, but also I don't, I don't think she gets these comics.
0: Uh Oh, you're right to that uh praise becomes a lot harder to accept when you don't believe you deserve it as i progressed in my career i started to question how deserving i was of my so-called achievements everyone mm-hmm. around me seemed to assume i knew things but did i and uh so how <laughs> yeah like just uh, what you know was the the sort of emotion behind that and your ability or inability to uh, accept praise from others
1: Um, First of all, I really appreciate that you read it the way I intended it to be read. Um, (laughs) But I think that uh, it's just, it was, I think it's always hard to accept praise when you're already stressed out about something. Um, I think most of us have had that feeling where you're nervous about something and the fact that someone is talking about it even kind of makes your nerves go up a bit more. Um, and I think that was just what I felt for a long time um, and still feel a lot of times now where someone is congratulating you and they're doing it with the best in, best of intentions, but at the same time, you're a little bit stressed out <laughs> that someone is bringing into the spotlight this thing that you're already worried about. And I think that was what I was trying to convey in those chapters.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have a way of even uh, like curating or collecting nice things that people say about you so you can actually like, you know, read the evidence, you know, when you feel kind of lousy about yourself that, you know, people in fact really do appreciate what you do and value you? Is that something that you, you know, think about or even, you know, exercise?
1: Yeah. So at the beginning of um, starting Instagram, I think maybe like a couple years into it, uh, I had... I made a comic that um, like, some people didn't really like. And then it was just like, I think you go through waves of it, right? Where sometimes you feel really good about your work and you feel like you're communicating the right stories and people are receiving it in all the right ways. Um, and then sometimes you feel like nobody really likes it. And like this is sort of a waste of time. Nobody really cares. And you kind of get down in the dumps. Um, for me, I try to keep those messages that people send where they tell me something happened in their life Um, And then they read this comic and they related to it and it made them feel so much better. And I think it's important to kind of like hold on to those messages, either uh, literally through your inbox or somehow scrapbook collect it or even just mentally go back to it, because those are the voices that keep you going, right? Um, And like even now when I read reviews, uh, my friend has started telling me that she's going to like spray bottle me with water every time I read a bad review because I got stressed (laughs) out about it so much. Um, I try to focus more on the positive reviews and it's, it's still really hard for me, but I think it's important to remember that there are people who like the things you put effort into and you should do it for them.
0: When you're dealing with the the 3am voice or the the self-doubt voice what does that voice sound like for you and how do you persevere in the face of it
1: oh man that's hard uh the (laughs) 3am voice comes in sort of like different demons depending on what i'm dealing with at the time um i think talking with friends or like other people or family in general is really helpful um and i think like as i said before like um having that repository of work that you're proud of um, whether or not it's whether it's art you created or just things you've done that you're proud of in general it could even be like things you did to help other people um, is really important because I think that we need to have a good understanding of ourselves and like a good kind of evidence of what we like about ourselves so that when we do hear negative feedback either internally or from other people, we still kind of can stand strong knowing that we work hard, we try to do our best, and we have done good previously.
0: Would you say that you're your own harshest critic?
1: Um, I would say so, but I have read one-star reviews, so maybe not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when you When you are being self-critical, and I'm someone who is impossibly self-critical, and I have mm-hmm. over... I have 20, almost twenty-five years of journals, which are basically just a, a record of me just lambasting myself. Uh, I, I wonder what the what that voice sounds like for you, and maybe how you turn the volume down on it so you can, you know, still do the amazing work you do.
1: Yeah, I think the voice is always just maybe it's not good enough. Um, I'm someone who spends a lot of time writing and rewriting, even for like Instagram comics, which look like I spent maybe like ten minutes on it. Uh, that's usually a product of me writing or rewriting the same dialogue, uh, like maybe for three hours. Um, I think I, I still don't have a bulletproof way to silence that voice, um, but I try to focus on what friends tell me. Uh, I try to t- focus on what I know to be true um, that might be a bit more positive than what I'm thinking about the time. And then if anything, I just talk to friends about it and I feel like it's always a good Reality check: to have someone else tell you what they know about you, as opposed to you kind of spiraling into darkness.
0: There's a there's a moment too, you know, late in the book where you know you write. I think you're a lament. You're, you're at an age where you know culture at large uh, suggested that this is when your your dream job should happen, and I. I guess our culture said like if you don't sort of strike that sort of dream job oil well by the time you're like 29 or 30, then you're some sort of a a loser or something that you've missed the mark, you missed the boat, and now you're in, now you just might as well, you know get into the big fade and, you know, die alone somewhere. So, <laughs> you know, so it, it really spoke to patience in this idea of putting too much social capital on precocity. So I, I, you know, I wonder how, how you've grown to be more, you know, patient in, uh, in, in your standing when in finding finding that sort of perfect gig.
1: I think that it's one of those things where you kind of accept it and move on. Um, Like, I think we all have those moments of, like, grief at certain uh, milestones in your life where you're just like, oh, no, I'm, I'm failing life. Um, and I think that eventually you have to accept it or just spiral endlessly. And I think I just chose to accept it and be like, okay, well, I guess I'm working on these things for the next couple of years. And it'll come when it comes. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too.
0: Yeah, it really gets to the to the, to the, this idea of we really just have to, you know, run our own races and it's very hard not to look over your shoulder and compare yourself to other people, you know, people you admire, even people you don't admire. And you're wondering like how the, you know, what are they doing? What am I doing wrong? If they're doing, it looks like they're doing everything right. So, yeah. How have you been able to, you know, coach yourself to put on the blinders and just, you know, focus on being the best Michi?
1: I think that's definitely something I still struggle with and I don't know when that struggle will end but I'm hoping sometime in the next decade. (laughs) Um, I think that it's just especially for Instagram and I guess like in the context of comics or sharing your work on the internet it's really really hard not to look at analytics and be depressed. Um, It's really hard to not take likes or lack of likes personally right Um, and I think For me, it's always this process of reminding myself, hey, my goal is to make a better comic every time I post it, or at least something that I'm proud of every time I hit post. And if it's not received well, then that's okay, and it shouldn't affect what I write and how I feel about my work. Um, That said, I always and still kind of like cry to my friends when I'm like, oh, no, no one liked this. This is really bad of me to share this. Um, And it seems like something that I should be over At this point after posting for so many years but I'm still not so I would say that try try to set your own goals and try to keep those goals away from what other people think Um, but also be go easy on yourself when you do kind of fall into that pit of oh no's um, Hmm. and know that it'll be okay
0: and with your own work and running your own race and really trying to just compare just yourself to yourself and where you want to go you know what would you identify as something that you know you you struggle with and that you're working on and uh, that you're looking to improve
1: I would say having those blinders on so being able to separate being able to make the stories and do the work that I want to do and not be biased or swayed based on the feedback I get. So it's really hard to share things out with people and not use their feedback as guidance. And I'm not saying post things and never listen to feedback and never listen to criticism that could make you better. But I just think that we should be sharing stories we want to share and not stories that are tailored to likes. So it's it's hard to build content that isn't geared to like meme content um it's hard to share the stories that you want to share but being able to keep in mind what you want to say and not be biased from what other people are saying is very important and still something i'm working on
0: with respect to some of the stories you tell what are some of the stories that you know scared you the most to hit publish on
1: uh, <laughs> so many um, I think that with Instagram there's a lot less anxiety because at the back of my mind I know I can always delete the post even though that's not like a best practice of mine right. Um, but I think with the book specifically it was really hard to let some of those stories out into the world uh, just because there are some things that I've never shared with people or certain people in my life and knowing that they're likely going to read the book at some point and see those stories. Um, I would say that my more vulnerable chapters were hard to share, um, like things like space dust, gum, uh, certain parts of, I don't know, it, it just feels very personal. And I have been telling my friends this, and it's like a weird feeling, but when I share my book with strangers, I'm okay with it. It's like, you can read everything, we can talk about it at length, But sharing your work with people who are already in your life, there's a new type of anxiety that's come up from doing that. And I'm still kind of making my way around it.
0: Yeah. Is there a part of you, it's not like you're ever, you know, critical of family or anything, which some, you know, people who write memoir and personal stories run into. But, um, you know, were there any moments of maybe in the early drafting of this of, of your book where you're like, oh, shoot, like. I hope I don't offend, you know, mom or my sister or my father. Um, you know, it, were were there those moments where you were a little gun shy?
1: A hundred percent. My sister definitely messaged me one night at like 2 a.m. <laughs> and said, why am I such a jerk in your comics? And I, I was <laughs> like, how did you read this? How, were you on Instagram again? Because she wasn't on Instagram that much back then. Um, but now she's on top of it. And she's always like, I saw that comic you posted. I'm like, okay. Uh, I think... There are definitely moments where I would edit myself out of some truths just because feelings of other people were involved, Um, but I try to stay transparent and honest, and I feel like the people who are in my life know that I'm joking if I'm being a little bit harsh, (laughs) and um, I feel like it's just a balancing act that you have to strike.
0: (laughs) With With respect to uh, some of the stories you've shared, whether on Instagram or in the book, are are there some that really surprised you when you hit send? You're like, oh my God, I didn't realize that this one of all comics was the one that really connected with my audience.
1: I think with Instagram, it was very obvious. It's always very obvious because I'll get all those comments right away. And I think even with one of my more recent comics about Uh, resigning and kind of like resigning anxiety Uh, that was very surprising to me because I didn't think that I would get so many comments in terms of people feeling the exact same way because I just thought I was weird and really stressed out about resigning on like a normal team for no reason. So I think it's always interesting to have that feeling because people always write messages and they're like, you always write things I, I relate to. But at the same time, they don't realize that I have that exact same feeling whenever they send me that, those messages. Cause now I know I'm not alone.
0: When you're constructing and developing your comics. Yeah. What has been the the challenge and the struggle to be super, super economical with your with your language given that you don't have a whole lot of space to make your point and to make a joke and to tell the story
1: um a lot of rewriting and a lot of kind of like cutting out your babies from the book My editor helped a lot um, in terms of saying, like, do you really need these jokes? And then there's a lot of back and forth where I'm like, I I do need that joke actually because it's very important to me. But then eventually learning how to let go of the like extra fluff that you don't necessarily need so that you get to the good stuff.
0: That was, uh, has that gotten easier for you over the years or is it still something you're like, God damn it, like this is still really hard?
1: I think it's gotten easier for dialogue, but it's hard uh, for comics in general. I think it's easier for Instagram because there's only so much space and you don't necessarily need to tell like a whole story. But for the book itself, it was really hard to get rid of a lot of stories that, or like comics that don't necessarily feed into the narrative, but I just wanted because I selfishly wanted that comic to exist in the book. (laughs) Um, Mm. But I think. If It's easier for me because I know that what doesn't make the cut for the book, I can sometimes repurpose in an Instagram comic or repurpose maybe in a future book if I do write a future book. Um, so it wasn't that bad to put things in the graveyard.
0: Was there a part of you that some, can sometimes use Instagram as a way to kind of you know, crowdsource, if you will, or, you know, sort of test the market of a kind of story. You're like, "Whoa, this one got like hundreds and hundreds of likes. I really should maybe make this one a long form story.
1: Um, I did start off by doing that when I was initially brainstorming for the book. But as I started writing for the book, I realized that I I wanted the book to be stories that I never kind of talked about or shared on Instagram. Um, and I don't I don't know why. That was just like a feeling I had that I wanted the book to be separate. I wanted the experience to be new. I didn't want people to read the book and have that feeling you get when you watch a really great trailer and it kind of like covers the entire movie. So um, in that sense, I, I didn't really crowdsource from Instagram as much. I just kind of picked my favorite stories and kind of hoped for the best.
0: Mm. And when you finished the book, you know, what was that moment like and that feeling like?
1: Uh, it was a lot of anxiety because I didn't think it was good enough. I think the hardest thing about writing the book was that I never thought it was finished. So no matter what chapter I was writing, no matter how many times I had written and rewritten that like segment, it never felt done to me. And that's still something I struggle with as I look at the book on my desk. Um, just that feeling of like, did I put in everything I could to make it great? Um, Is it is it good enough? So I still haven't felt that sense of like, it's done. It's out. I still have that bit of anxiety of maybe I could just like white out everyone's books in chapter eight or whatever.
0: (laughs) Did you uh, allow yourself, uh, you know, moments of celebration over the course of the genesis of the book? You know, like maybe when you turned in your first draft and then your final draft, did you're like, all right. You know, it's, it's time to you know celebrate this moment because it's pretty rare and very special.
1: Um, I celebrated when I got cut off from doing further edits from my editor, <laughs> um, and then I quickly reverted back to anxiety. So that's where I'm still at.
0: Okay, still, still in the anxiety. Still pool. anxiety. Yeah. All right. I live here. <laughs> yeah. Passport says you yeah. know citizen of anxiety land. So as we sort of bring this airliner down, Michi, um, something I always love asking people is kind of like this, you know, five very influential books that I call like the Bookshelf for the Apocalypse. And um, if you had a chance to think about it, you know, what are some of these these titles you can't live without, titles you re- reread and that you, you would carry with you to the ends of the earth?
1: I think that the list changes depending on my mood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like as of now, my list would probably be... Um, like books that make me smile as well as like books that I can feel like I can escape to. Um, so my list would probably be Hyperbole and a Half by Ali Brosh, um, the indispensable Calvin and Hobbes, because I feel like I need a significant amount of comics to kind of fuel my life right now. The um, es-
0: his essay at the beginning of that collection is so good. Mm-hmm. It's like such a, a- – powerhouse of an essay on creativity and everything it's it's so so good
1: i think it's really hard to pick a calvin and hobbes book so i I would bring like the whole set if i was being honest (laughs) um i would probably also bring when you are engulfed in flames by david sedaris uh but again i feel like i could pick any book of his and bring it onto this list um and then i need a harry potter book because harry potter so harry potter and the half-blood prince and then probably wrap it up with the picture of Dorian Gray.
0: Nice. I, I'm so th- happy that Harry Potter six is your is your favorite one. That's my favorite, <laughs> that's my favorite one too.
1: Yeah, because you can't pick the last one because you'll just be sad when it's done. And then you want him to be fairly competent, so you have to pick like five, six, seven, right? So yeah, that's why I landed on Half Blood Prince.
0: Uh. Definitely. Well, that's that's really, really cool. Uh, well, Michi, this was a uh, wonderful, w- wonderful to get to talk to you. Like I said, I, I loved your book to pieces, and I, I can't wait to reread it because it's just endlessly rereadable and and fun. So I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and uh, you know, best of luck with the book. Happy publication day. and um I, I hope to do this again another time down the road when your next one comes out.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: michi's comic i i love it i love her comic it's incredible at the very least if you don't buy the book right away which you should come on uh check out her instagram at barely functional adult. it's hilarious it's cool it's fun cute what, whatever i mean it's uh, it's hilarious I, I can't talk it up enough i don't know it brings me joy anyway thanks to michi for being on the show and of course thanks to you for for listening Know that this show, in part, is brought to you by my kick-ass editing and coaching services. You know that if you need to get in shape, you spring for a personal trainer. If you can do it, it behooves you to get a personal trainer, hold you accountable. That's how I see myself when it comes to your project. So if you're ready to level up and know that when you get involved with me on this and the writers for the audio mag, they know that I get it. I get in there. It's like pottery. I'm in like in there helping to shape this thing. And I'm not just I'm not just talking to you in your ear. We're we're in the thick of it. So <laughs> if this hasn't enticed you, I'd be honored to help you get where you want to go. Hope you had a nice Thanksgiving yesterday. Me, the misses and Hank at hooray for Hank on Instagram. I don't manage that account, uh, the missus does. We drove to the Oregon coast and found a secluded hike and got into the woods, man. The mist dripping dripping off the old-growth trees. It was like rain. You looked right up into the misty, the misty treetops and just, you know, drips are coming down. It was cool to the skin. The ground was soft underfoot. We heard the surf off to the west. And as we climbed the trail up the eastern slope, It was silence, pure silence, so quiet that all I could hear was the incessant ringing in my ears. Worked up a good lather, haven't hiked in a while, so it was relieving to be out there, man. It was just nice, it was regenerative. We then parked near Seal Rock along Route 101 and had some vegan turkey sandwiches on pretzel rolls, salt and pepper potato chips, a bit of seltzer water, and I gotta say, man, It was all kinds of good. Came home and locked into this trip with a glass of Tempranillo and a bad case of B.O. Anyway, that's what's going on here. If you have a moment, consider leaving a kind review over on Apple Podcasts. They help with the packaging of the show, of course. If you don't feel like leaving one on Apple Podcasts, you could always email me one. And I'll read it on the air and give you the recognition you deserve, and maybe use it as promotional materials and other things as I court sponsors and the like. You know, we're knocking on the door of 100, and if you want to see what it means to be a CNF and member, head over to patreon.com slash cnfpod and see if there's a tier that speaks to you and where you want to go. I tried to really think of what would be of the greatest value to you. I think, I, I think I'm kind of there. I think you'll dig it. You know what? And that's going to do with CNFers. Stay cool. Stay cool forever, man.